So I have four basic questions to put to you today. And if you're interested in the answers to these questions, which I presume you probably are, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably at least a little bit interested, then I would urge you to listen on to my interpretations of the answers to these questions. And I would also urge you to let me know what your interpretations are, because I can only speak from my point of view at the end of the day. You're listening to The Irish Shamanism Show, a podcast all about Irish nature-based spirituality, healing and community. My name's Anna, a native Irish Bamfaza, a woman of knowledge, aka a tribal healer or shamanic practitioner to give it a more well-known term. I'm also a holistic counsellor and psychotherapist, trainer, and ordained pagan priest and celebrant. In this show, we'll be discussing all things to do with traditional Irish and Celtic healing methods, nature-based spirituality, and what it's like to be a modern Irish pagan. I will also be chatting to some very exciting and interesting members of the wider pagan community for their take on indigenous spirituality, paganism, traditional healing practices, and many other related topics, issues, and concerns. So thanks for tuning in. Fill your cauldron with your beverage of choice. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Folcherov August Banak Tea. Hello, and you are so welcome to this episode of the Irish Shamanism Show podcast. This is episode number four, and I'm just absolutely excited that anybody's listening to my podcast at this stage. So let's get on with the show for today. I said in the beginning that we have four questions to look at today, and I've kind of already got into some of this. If any of you have listened to my episode number two, which was the audio conversion that I did on the blog that I have done some time ago. And that was about what is shamanism, what is Irish shamanism. So the questions that I have for you today, the four questions are, first of all, what is shamanism? And second of all, what is Celtic shamanism or more, um, I suppose I'll be going into more uh, importantly, who or what were or are the Celts? And I don't think you can really answer one without the other. And then I'm going to speak about Irish shamanism, in particular, the tradition of Irish shamanism. And then finally, I really want to go into my own opinion, really, and what I learned um, about what how does the Irish tradition differ from other types of shamanic traditions and practices um, around the world? So let's get into it. The first question that I had ha, or have is, what is shamanism? And there's a lot of debate around this subject. Well, there isn't, there isn't, I suppose, because I don't think that anybody would really debate the fact that shamanism exists or that 
it has existed for a long time. And on that note, it is probably the oldest known form of spirituality or practice or healing practice known to human humankind, to our species. And it is dating back to indigenous and native peoples all over the world since the dawn of time. And we can see that through rock art, you know, the rock paintings that exist in these, you know, old, old cave sites across the world. Then we have these ancient carved stones, stone circles from, say, the Stone Age period. Um, we can look at sites such as Newgrange um, in Ireland, Brunabonia, and we can look at, you know, Stonehenge. We can look and then we can look across the world at the various different um, structures that go back to even further back in time, particularly in places like Turkey and um, and other older places from across the other side of the world and all the corners of the world. Uh, we can look at the standing stones um, and painted shells in other tribal um, cultures. So it, it's a very, very old history and is even possibly the foundations of modern meditation as we know it. Maybe, maybe not. I don't, it's, it's hard to know these things. Um, maybe some of you do know, so let me know if you do. But I, I think that when, we're, when we want to answer the question of what is shamanism, rather than um, the specific shamanic practice of the tribe where the word shaman originally comes from, but shamanism as a practice as we know it, then I think we need to first look at what shamanism isn't. And for me, that's a very important distinction to make. Though there is possibly some evidence or some belief that shamans may have been the similar to the priests or priestesses of ancient tribes, we also don't really know if that is true or not, or if it's more a case of the the shamanic the shamanic practitioners um, were more uh what you might call um um a connection to spirit rather than deity but i'm not saying that they weren't i'm just saying that they might not have been as well because the distinction that i did want to make was that for me shamanism is very much not a religion there are definitely crossovers with religious religious practices and again, I can only really speak from my own tradition and what I learned about. And in that, there's definitely crossovers with the practices of my own religious beliefs, which are pagan in in their roots, although pagan is such a huge umbrella term, as a nature-based spirituality. And even the fact that as a shamanic practitioner, I follow the indigenous pagan wheel of the year i.e the pagan cross quarter days and the solstices and the equinoxes but 
more on that later. Right now, I'm talking more about shamanism in general. And I don't doubt that, as I said earlier, for some cultures, it was probably seen as, while in my tradition, I feel that it's not so much a form of honouring deity as honouring all spirit. Having said that, though, to be honest, I'm not sure if it's a coincidence or not. A lot of the people that I know who are shamanic practitioners are also priests and priestesses of the pagan tradition. That could just be an openness to these certain beliefs or could be coincidence or could just be, I don't know, calling of spirit, possibly. But that's just the way it is. I don't know if that's the same in all of the different traditions around the world. Uh, it probably is, possibly, in some of them. Let me know if you know or if you have a different opinion. So as a spiritual practice, I do see that there is a big crossover in, in all over the world. And we see this in all over Europe, North and South. We see it in the Americas, in Siberia and Russia, in Africa, obviously Australia, Asia, and as I said, all over the world. We know that these common practices are form the basis of humanity and form the basis of the of the origins of humanity. So having said that, what are some of the things that are common in, in the different forms of shamanism that we see across the world? And I think that one of the main ones, well, there's a lot of there's a lot of them, maybe not one of the main ones, but definitely one of the ones that is close to my heart, probably, is the honoring of nature. When I say the honoring of nature, I, I definitely do mean literally the honoring of nature. I think it would be hard to be a shamanic practitioner and not love nature in some form. And that doesn't mean to say that you have to live in a hut in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of a forest surrounded by trees and lakes and animals or a cave on top of a mountain and be a hermit. No, I mean, you can be a shamanic practitioner and live in a city, still have a very deep connection to nature and an honouring for nature and respect for nature and do your bit for nature, like recycling, like supporting programs that plant trees and protect wildlife and forestry and species of animals. I think that there's this honouring of nature and, and also within that, the cycles of nature, the cycles of the earth, the seasons, the cycles of the moon, the cycle of the sun as it goes throughout its day, the cycles of the mammals within nature, um, the female cycle, the cycle of the males as they go through life, the cycle of humanity and all the different cycles that, that we see within nature, within the natural world. And I think that within that then is this belief, which is also known as animism, that 
all things have a soul or a spirit, whatever you want to call it, within the Irish tradition that might be also called as Imrama, this belief in spirit, this belief that not just humans or or animals like companion animals have spirit and have soul, but all animals, but not just animals, also trees and insects and flowers and, and plants and herbs and fish, reptiles, bodies of water, stones, everything has spirit and everything has soul. And within that then is the belief that we are all connected and not just things in this physical realm, but also spirit. A central idea of shamanism is that we work with spirit. We work with our spirit guides, our spirit allies, and that we are all connected. And one of my own personal beliefs is that maybe we're all part of that circle of spirit. And maybe this is your turn to inhabit the physical body. But in another lifetime, you were the guide, the spirit guide, and one of your other spirit allies inhabited the physical body. We work very closely with our spirit guides, and I'll be speaking more about spirit guides in another episode, I'm sure. It's definitely on my plan anyway, so hopefully I, I will be, unless I forget, which is all, all too possible. But it's written down. I have a list, and I'm sticking to it. We also have this central belief of working with our ancestors and honouring and respecting our ancestors. And that's very, very important in so many different cultures and beliefs. And I think that in the Irish tradition, even though I don't think if you asked just the regular Irish person on the street, you know, do Irish people honour their ancestors or worship their ancestors, they probably say, uh, that's weird. But then again, you go into any house and there's, you know, nearly altar set set up throughout the house to their grannies and their aunts and their great grandparents and, you know, people who they love and who've been near to them, even their beloved pets who have died. We still, to this day, follow very closely traditions associated with ancestor worship and ancestor respect and love. I think that's very central to shamanism and it's very central to Irish life. And then I think that something that's very particular to shamanism is this idea of soul flight. This idea that the shamanic practitioner will alter their state of awareness and through trance will journey or or travel to other realms of the spirit and that's where we do our work to some extent that's where we do a lot of our work that's where we have our initial contact with our guides now having said that when you've been doing the work for a long time for many years then it actually becomes a way of life and you always have one foot in and one foot out so your guides are with you all the time anyway, but you're aware of them being with you all the time. And you're also doing the work in inverted commas all the time. This idea that the shaman or the shamanic practitioner is 
the wounded healer or the healer that has been through great pain and trauma and has come through the other side, even though, in my opinion, it's an ongoing work throughout life. But also this idea that the shamanic practitioner has been through a symbolic death and rebirth or in, a lot, or in some cases, I've heard of a lot of cases, more than symbolic, maybe even a, a near-death experience and come through the inner, come through that out and out the other side. And that having that knowledge then allows them or us to bring that wisdom back and bring that healing and rebirth knowledge back to help the people that you're working with. Not just the people, also the the tribe, the community, the the land and and everybody else that you're working with, the livestock, the animals, the spirits. So I think that really kind of dips into what is shamanism. Um, and then my next question is, was who or what were are or were the Celts and what is Celtic shamanism? Well, I can tell you straight off that the answer to Celtic shamanism, I really don't know. I have no idea because I can only speak for Irish shamanism, really. Although I know that there are others who will speak to us as to what they believe or they have researched might be Celtic shamanism. But I can only speak as to what I have been taught about Irish shamanism. But let's look now at who or what were the Celts. Um, and I'm just going to start by saying that <laughs> Celts, the Celts, or the word Celtic has really become synonymous, in my opinion, with Irish, Ireland, maybe Scotland, Scottish, but I think across the world, more, probably more Irish, Ireland, and not correctly in any way, shape, or form, other than does language take on a meaning of its own when enough people believe it? Does it become correct? I don't know. That's for people who are a lot more learned than me to answer when it comes to language and scholarly things. So just spe speaking from what I know, what I've learned and the research that I've done. And I put, I'm doing air quotes when I say research because we talk about research, but really when I talk about research anyway, I talk about mostly reading, you know, a few books. I don't have a massive library, but I've got, you know, maybe 20 books on the subject, broad subject. Um, Google, <laughs> Wikipedia also, that kind of thing. And also, very importantly, from what I've learned from the vast knowledge of people that I'm lucky enough to have around me who are so much more learned about 
so many more things than I am. I'm very good at picking people's brains and learning from other people, <laughs> which I'm choosing to see as a skill. <laughs> Others might say differently. That's their opinion and they're entitled to it. I'm a magpie and I collect shiny pieces of information, bring it back to my nest and sit on it. <laughs> anyway, I don't know where that came from. Moving on to, or moving back to the Celts. So the Celts, they first came into being, <laughs> I'm sure, a long time before this. And, but they were first mentioned in texts, let's say, by this Greek geographer or geography person called Hecateus. Um, taught, probably pronouncing that wrong. Sorry for any Greek scholars. And he spoke about them as being a tribe of people living near what we would now know as the modern city of Marseille in France. And that was in around 507 BC. And we know that they were already well established by that time. They were nomadic tribal people, late Stone Age, early Bronze Age. And we also do know that by this time they would have already been well established and would have already been occupied in some parts of Britain and Ireland. And I use the word occupied very specifically because they were an occupying force. <laughs> That's in the story for another day, maybe. And then we also do see them popping up throughout the ages after 507 BC. For example, there are there would have been a number of classical text that would have mentioned the Keltoi, um, which was how they were spoken about by this Greek person, uh Hecateus. Um Hecateus with a K. So Keltoi. Julius Caesar Julius Caesar would have written about them in his texts, but he would have called them Gauls and obviously he would have been very biased against them because they were the people that he was trying to conquer very aggressively <laughs> um, with through warfare and war tactics. So I think the word Gaul may have origins in a word for foreigner or something like that. Possibly. I think I read that somewhere sometime. Could be wrong. That literally just popped into my head from some nugget of information that I probably brought back to my nest at some stage. So how long I've been sitting on that for, I don't know. It could be squashed. Then we have a Welsh naturist, linguist, who would have written about the Celts, but this time it was the modern English version, um, which obviously came from the Greek Keltoi. So that was with a C. And his name was Edward Hood. 
food I don't know it was Welsh pardon my Welsh please I've probably totally barbered that lovely surname interestingly he would have spoken wrote written about them from a basis of language and some shared history and traditions now we do know that the Celts would have dominated most of Europe pre-Christ BC before Christ for at least a thousand years and probably a lot more not just Europe also Anatolia so right up into Turkey as well um, and we we can see that and interestingly enough I've been speaking lately to a friend of mine who is fluent she's not Turkish but she spent a lot of time in Turkey and she quite good in, with the Turkish language and I've been telling her some words in Irish now my Irish is not I have a few only a few words um cupola fuckel squail again Irish but it's amazing now I have spent some time in Turkey as well but I never noticed this until she pointed out that there's there are a lot of words in Turkish that sound similar to some Irish words so I don't know if that's a coincidence but the fact that the Celts were in parts of Turkey or Anatolia, you know, or the Ottoman Empire as it became, then I guess that kind of does make sense in a way when you when you think about it. So they were so they were nomadic tribes and they moved around a lot. And then the Romans obviously went on to conquer Europe and you know the Istanbul used to be Constantinople. It was the head of the the Roman Empire um for a great number of years. I just wanted, as a side note here as well, I just wanted to add in that the first time the Celts or the Gauls, probably the Gauls, came onto into my radar was when I was a child. I was absolutely fascinated with those comic asterisks and obelisks. Between me and my sister Becky, we collected the whole series of those comic books. We absolutely were fascinated by them. We loved them. And that was the first time I ever became aware of the Roman Empire and, you know, the, the conquest of Europe, the, the Gaulish tribes, the Druids. I feel so emotional even now just thinking of it because I was young. I was very young. It started, I think it probably did, in a way, set me on a path. That and a number of other things set me on a path that was to continue throughout the rest of my life so far. But I was fascinated with these Gauls and these, you know, they were called, bar they called them the Barbarians and Vercingetorix and the tribes of, you know, these fights and these Druids and the, the way that they were described in the books. It, it just fascinated me and I, anyway, that was just a side note. And that's just came into my mind now as well. We don't really know much about these Indo-European peoples. Really what we do know is identified mostly by the use of shared language, i.e. the Celtic languages, and some cultural similarities and traditions. But mostly, above all, the word Celtic is really non not I won't say nonsense, but it's really what it mostly describes is this shared language root, which then went to split into different ways. But yes, it does describe 
some cultural similarities, some some traditions, but mostly it describes the language, which is why in this modern day world that we live in, this emphasis on Celtic this and Celtic that and, and this, you know, the insistence that the word Celtic is almost synonymous with Irish or Scottish it doesn't make sense. How did we get there? I'd love to know how we got there. I think it's a little bit of romanticism. There is some mythology shared as well by the Celtic tribes, by the way. I forgot to say that, as well as the language and some traditions and some cultural similarities. Just to get back to modern Celticness, <laughs> it really does refer mostly to these Celtic nations, as they're called. So Ireland, Scotland, Wales, Cornwall and the Isle of Man and and Brittany as well, where the various forms of the Celtic languages are still spoken to some degree by people as as a living language. So even though in Ireland... I think, you know, 97, 93%, or maybe it is 97% of the population speaks English. We all learned Irish in school and we all have the cupola fuckle, as I said, the few words of Irish. But really and truly, there's only parts, very small pockets around Ireland where and they're called Gaeltacht, by the way, where Irish is spoken as a mother tongue, as a um, fluent language. Now, having said that, there's still a lot of people who are fluent in Ireland, in Irish, in Ireland, in the English speaking parts. And obviously in the Irish speaking parts, they're also fluent in English. We're not going to get into the reasons behind that. And if you don't know, then please just go and open a history book and have a look for yourself because that's a whole can of worms. And I don't get me. You just don't want to get me started on <laughs> on that can of worms. Um, I'm laughing, but inside I'm crying. <laughs> um, so, yeah. There are other places. I think I believe in Scotland, um, Scottish Gaelic is spoken a lot is a lot more widespread. And I believe in Wales too, although that's a different route. The Welsh is, is a different route, it's still a Celtic language. I'm not sure about the Isle of Man and Cornwall or Brittany. I, I do know that there's revivals in those places. So as there is in Ireland as well, I mean, a lot of people are really trying to bring back Irish, uh, myself included. I'm trying to incorporate more and more Irish words into my daily life, even though I get looked at very strange at times when I do, which is really sad. And again, I'm really crying inside, you know, why and and that's part of the whole colonial shame and trauma that we have you know 900 years of oh 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 i went down that wormhole back again retreat okay let's get on to so that's kind of covering the celtic so the question then is 
what is Irish shamanism? And I think really, again, I, I want to make it very clear here that I'm I am speaking from my own knowledge, my own learning, and what I was taught. So I think before we speak about that, I would like to very quickly talk a little bit about appropriation and cultural appropriation. And I'm not going to get into a big discussion about this, but what I did want to talk about was the fact that, and I've I've touched off this as well on, on, on my previous episode number two, that, okay, so I studied six and a half years Irish shamanism with the Imrama Foundation in Wexford, an amazing, amazing woman called Coit Brannigan. She taught me and I learned so much from her and I, I have so much love and respect and honour in my heart for that amazing, amazing woman. She lives and breathes her her beliefs and she helps so many people on a daily basis. She teaches people all over Ireland and all over the world. And she is an amazing woman. I have a lot of love for her in case you didn't get that from what I've just said. Coit, I learned from her for six and a half years. I graduated, I think, three or four years ago. Not quite sure. I have been on this path for 10 plus years. I've read a lot of books. I'm blessed by having so many people that in my life that I can talk to and, and learn from and compare. So as I said, I'm talking from my own point of view, my own opinion, but I would never call myself a shaman. And I would be very, very uncomfortable if somebody gave that term to me. It's not the kind of thing that I'd want to get into over the dinner table if somebody did call me it. So the reason why is that the word shaman specifically comes from a very particular tribe in Siberia and the shaman is the spiritual identity, the, the identity of the spiritual person of that tribe. And I am not Siberian and I'm not a spiritual person in the Tonksk, I think that's how you pronounce it, tribe of Siberia. So we adopted it or we stole it or we borrowed it, whatever word, whatever word you want to use, into the English language through a series of white men who went to Siberia and brought it back and wrote books about these people. And then obviously the similarities were seen with other indigenous peoples all over the world. You know, the word shamanism was kind of given to cover all of them. So I think that in a way it has, I'd probably be shot by, shot down, not literally shot, I hope, was shot down by some people for saying this, but I do think the word shamanism has been kind of adopted into the English language as a descriptive term to describe this broad series of techniques and practices. But having said that, the word shaman, I believe, shouldn't ever be used by somebody outside of that tribe and even within that tribe well they can do what they want but within that tribe these particular spiritual people so having said that I am okay 
with calling myself a shamanic practitioner, a shamanic therapist, a shamanic healer, something like that. Now, in Irish, the term would probably have been ban faza or far faza, which means woman of knowledge or man of knowledge or wise woman or wise man. I prefer to go with woman of knowledge. Again, I've said this before. I'm not particularly comfortable with calling myself a wise woman. Maybe the term medicine man or medicine woman might be well known. Cunning man, cunning woman. And there are other terms. The term witch could possibly have been similar to did the same kind of things that a shamanic practitioner might do. Maybe not exactly the same, but similar. And again, that has been distorted, barbarized throughout the ages. Possibly some sort of derivative of the word dree, uh, which in Irish meant magic practitioner, spiritual magic practitioner. Comes from the word dreacta, which is magic in Irish. Again, I could be getting that wrong. That's my understanding. I'm not a Gaelagor. I'm not an Irish speaker. That's my bit about appropriation. Uh, Like it or don't like it or love it or don't love it. That's my personal thoughts on it. I use the word shamanism because it is better known than other terms. And I feel that it describes... I've done, I've put a lot of thought into this and a lot of self evaluation and you know what am I comfortable with and I am comfortable with you for the moment using the word shamanic practitioner shamanism to describe myself so I've already spoken about what shamanism is so what about the Irish tradition Well, the Irish tradition, because there was a very strong connection with the Druids and with the Bards and the the Feely, so the Irish tradition was an oral tradition. Because of that, and because of the absorption in Ireland of the Catholic religion, when it came to Ireland through the Roman conquest of the rest of Europe, then unfortunately it's a broken line we don't have an unbroken line in within the Irish tradition unfortunately but what we do have is we have some of the classical texts um by the the greek and the roman philosophers and writers we have some of the the roman writings julius caesar himself spoke about the druids and the practices and by extension, then the, the the healing practices, which would have been the shamanic practices. And we have texts that were written by the Christian scribes. Again, just like the stuff written by Caesar or the Romans, it would have been very biased against the barbarians, devils, you know. So we have to be very careful in how we read them and, and what we understand from them. But we definitely see hints and signs within them. We also have the other cultures to look at. I've spoken a lot about the similarities between the different types of shamanism and the different types of spiritual practices across the nations and all the different cultures. From that, we get what's called core shamanism. And that's the elements within all the different cultures which are similar. 
And that was written by very extensively by a man named Michael Harner, whose book is still used to this day as uh, as a very good guide on core shamanism. And there's other people as well, like Sandra, I think um, Ingerman, I think is her name, who writes, although she might specifically write about Native American practices, I'm not sure. But I definitely know that Michael Harner has written a lot about core shamanism and I have his book myself and, and I find it a very good resource. And then we have our own guidance from spirit, which to be honest is makes up quite a lot of what I know anyway and what I've been taught. Some people call that UPG or unverified personal gnosis, i.e. it's not written anywhere. There's no, you know, text on it but it's something that we guidance we've been given by spirit or maybe we've had during meditation or during our journey work or through dream work or through oracle work through seeing you know scrying that kind of thing and I believe that that in particularly within the Irish culture forms a very big part I believe that that is a very valid source of information as long as we are clear when we talk about it, where it's come from. So that, that gives the other people the opportunity to make their mind up as to whether they, as long as we're not selling it as fact, it's I don't believe it's fiction either, but we're not saying this is fact and this was written about in the Encyclopedica Britannica, you know, it's not. But that doesn't make it any less valid as long as we're honest about where we get it from. So as I said, all of this is me speaking from my own personal opinion or gnosis. By the way, gnosis is with a G, just in case you want to look that up. I think that some of the things that are mostly particular within the Irish tradition, I mean, we we still use a drum or a rattle. There's no evidence anywhere to say that our ancestors were using drums or rattles. The chances are that they probably were, though, because they're damn good instruments to help journey work, to help with trance work. I don't see why they shouldn't have been, especially as they were Stone Age people. They were using animal hides for nearly everything else. Why wouldn't they have been stretching them over a wooden frame and using them to create sound for dancing or for entertainment? And it's not a huge step to think that they might have been doing that also for spiritual purposes. So we use the drum and the rattle. We use dancing. We use breath work. We use movement and singing all to help us with the trance. As far as I know, there is no evidence either that in the Irish tradition that hallucinogenic substances were used such as ayahuasca or peyote or anything like that to help with the trance although we do have a very significant hallucinogenic that grows natively in Ireland in the form of a, a mushroom so maybe they were <laughs> I certainly don't anyway I, I get by very well with the use of the drum mostly sometimes the rattle I'm not a singer I try, but nobody wants to hear that ever. Um, yeah, for personal reasons, I haven't done much dancing in the past, although maybe it might be something I'll take up in the future. Who knows? Breath work. Yeah, that can be pretty good too. 
but mostly I use the drum because I just I absolutely love drumming and because I've been doing it for so long it signals very quickly to my body and my mind and my spirit that it's time it's literally almost automatic for me now so what else yeah we definitely have our spirit guides we have our animal guide we have our ancestors that as I said before that's a huge part of our process and our culture and our tradition I work very closely with my ancestors we have our elements now as we do have a very strong and rich culture and tradition of paganism in Ireland then I'm never sure if some elements are taken from paganism or paganism is taken elements from shamanism or what it what the crossover is but generally when we're you know creating sacred space let's say then most people I know or who I've been in contact with will call on the four directions and the four elements and that's how I was taught as well though I don't always do it I generally bring them in in some form I tend to use the land the sea and the sky as well so I've a lot of crossover with my druidic studies and the background that I have in my my druid work as well we have our own wheel of the year let's say which is different to the native american wheel of the year i'm not an expert on that by any means but for we have our celtic quarter days and we have our equinoxes and our solstices the four quarter days are fire festivals so they're very important to my tradition and the way I work, as are the equinoxes and the solstices. We have our own version of the wheel of the year. We wouldn't call it the medicine wheel. As I said, I'm no expert on the Native American traditions. And by the way, there's so many of them. We tend to kind of lump them all into one, but there's thousands of tribes in North America and South America. So, you know, they all have different traditions. It's like kind of calling the Celts one people, I presume, now that I think about it, much bigger. <laughs> Let's see, what else? We also have something which I think is very particular to the Irish tradition and the Druidic tradition, and I work with them shamanically, and that's the Three Cauldrons of Posey. And I work with them for healing. I've heard people say, and I might have even said it myself, but don't quote me on that, that they are in some ways similar to the chakras but I kind of say that to give people a form of reference because most people have heard of the chakra system very different though the chakras are wheels of energy whereas the the cauldrons are containers of energy that can be you know heated cooled boiled simmered all that kind of thing stored and also can have leaks and can spill can turn over yeah I will speak more about the cauldrons at some other at some other time. And I'm sure there's a lot more other things as well that I, I'm not thinking of right now, but they're the main things that I can think of. And then, of course, we have all the other elements which are the same or similar to the core shamanism that is practiced by other cultures around the world. And I think that's really all I wanted to say. I, I feel like I've covered the questions that I posed at the beginning of this podcast. 
please do let me know what you think about what I've said. And please be kind because it does matter to me. <laughs> you know, other people's opinions do matter to me. And I can only say over and over again that I'm only speaking from my own opinion, my own point of view and from what I have learned, both from my teachers in this world and in spirit and from my ancestors. So do let me know what you think. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I really do hope that you have enjoyed it and that it hasn't been too wordy or too long and that maybe you might have got something out of it. I really do live for feedback and I always try to listen very closely to what other people have to say. I'm always open to being wrong, very open to being wrong. In fact, that's how we learn. So let me know. Send me an email, contact at irishshamanism.com. You can go on my website for further information. There's some drumming tracks there that I recorded. I'm starting to do as well some guided meditations and journeys. There's one up now and hoping to get some more up in the future. And my next podcast will be an interview with somebody that I am so excited about. And you're really not going to want to miss that. You really aren't. Because I think that it's going to be an absolutely brilliant interview. And I'm really, really looking forward to it. Please, please, please subscribe to my podcast on whatever platform you're on. And if you can, like it and share it. And a review just, you know, mean the world to me. It really does help me out in so many ways. But it also lets me know whether you like or you don't like what I'm doing. So it allows me to kind of take it on board as constructive criticism for future episodes. Thanks again. Gurmahagwiv, Slán, Agus Goodbye and blessings to you all.